back to the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Zamantu Kumalo. So this is what happens when you go, when you take a few days off, you come back and there are gremlins in the system. While we're back on your screen this evening, and as I was saying before we cut off there, that of course we want to look at, uh, you know, TJ, the difference between refinance and property. We are, of course, looking at refinancing and why it's so important, how it works, and the different ways that really good property investors use this method. And of course, I'm joined by TJ, uh, who is Tarai Jack, the co-founder of M5 Property Addicts. CJ, so do take us through you know, that difference between flipping and refinancing. As because you, as you're saying before the break, I think this is one of those things that uh, you know people sometimes do uh, you know make a mistake with bonds. I see your message there uh, saying that you need a blackboard now. You're lost. We'll definitely do a nice masterclass. I think this is one of those things. I promise I'll do a masterclass because I love talking finance. Uh, so we'll definitely bring in a masterclass and really do a good tutorial because there's so many different examples and so many different ways to refinance. I think this one, this one will look at it as a nice intro to refinance. And I think keep those questions, uh, certainly do send them through to us and we'll put in a really nice, uh, you know, masterclass when we dig deeper into this one. And I really uh, see Bongs again saying, I really need to learn this. I think this is what I need to uh, be doing in order to get rich. And I, and I think, you know, Bongs, I think a lot of people, um, certainly in, in property, people who are property investors who do this quite regularly, understand that there are various methods to growing and scaling your property portfolio and refinancing is one of those methods. So you almost want to really master this and you're going to be set. So TJ, do tell us that difference, refinancing versus flipping. Yeah, so Zama, I think it's this is almost right. One of those things that you know, it's a really preference thing, you know. Um, and I want to give the example to say that um, what strokes my boat doesn't really stroke the next person's boat, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that's where it needs to start off from. When I was employed, Zama, it was about exchanging my time for the money. And, and that I realized that I don't want to do. I want to exchange my time to be buying assets and assets needs to pay me, right? So that's my investment philosophy together with my partners. We don't work for money. The way I see flips, Zama, is that you're a trader. You're buying at a low, so you're a wholesaler. You're buying at a low, and you're going to put your markup, whichever way you're going to dress it up, and you're going to sell it. For that reason, Zama, for the rest of your life, you're going to be working. Because if you stop doing that, then you have no income. Because your profits that you're going to be pouring in or pouring out of all of these properties, sooner or later, they're going to dry out. Whereas if you look at me from the other side, I'm accumulating assets by refinancing. My tenants is paying me, uh, paying uh, my debt out, right? So year on year, my rental is increasing if I'm buying in a good neighborhood and my appreciation of my property is, my appreciation of my properties is also increasing. So from a balance sheet perspective, my equity is growing, right? So I'm making more money there as well, right? And that's another secret because by the time you're refinancing, the bigger your equity is, the better it is for you to refinance, right? And then on top of that, um, I have cash flows where I am not working 100% in it. I can literally employ a, a property manager who might give it 8%, a 10%, a 6%, it don't matter, who's going to properly manage my properties. 
and I get money for gyms by doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's the beautiful property for me, right? So if we now, now want to look at the difference, I've just given you the creed there of what is the philosophy behind it. And if, if, if that, is, that is, you know, if any, any of these philosophies resonate with anyone there, then already you can choose, right? The path which you want to take in. But if I get a property zama in, in Pompura Spread, right? And by the way, there is no place called Pompura Spread, but it's a very good deal. And I can literally put in 100,000 in there and I can make 400,000. For the fact that Pompura Spread is far away from me, I don't know that area, I will choose to do a flip. Because it's an area that I don't invest, I don't know that area, I might never be in that area. It's an area that is not growing and how can I make some money? I will make some money and I'll, I'll get out. But my, my primary business is to buy and rent. Why am I doing that? I can increase my, 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 my affordability by income that I'm getting every month, right? Number two, my balance sheet is growing with the equity that I'm getting. Rich people, Zama, don't get rich by selling and buying they get rich because they have assets that they've got. Once your foundation of your assets is great, you can take risk whatever you want to do now because your base is strong. And for me, that's how I differentiate the two in terms of flipping and where you're actually doing what we traditionally call rentals. So for that reason, you know, it's really about what is really more enticing to you and your property journey that you want to do. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it definitely, you know, it does, um, TJ. And I think one of the things I'm, I've already promised, uh, you know, viewers at home, we'll definitely do a masterclass because I think refinance, when you, whenever we talk finance, uh, you almost want to dig a little deeper. You know, next level will have that whiteboard or blackboard and start putting numbers up so that you get a really good illustration of some of the, you know, the numbers that we run and some of the things that you really need to consider. I think a really big caveat to everybody at home is obviously when you're making some of this decision, certainly need to be speaking to you know whether it's qualified accountant and people who understand uh what your financial needs analysis is going to be who're going to do that and really help you structure um your finances adequately because i think sometimes as we we're saying with cj some people you want to flip so in the example that he made where you know they put in 1.1 you're able to perhaps sell it for 1.5 you're thinking oh i'm just going to get 400k you haven't factored in capital gains tax and, and so your numbers then get thrown off. You probably haven't, you know, factored in, affected in even transfer fees. So I think being able to look at then what are the other costs that are associated or what that would potentially eat into your profit margin becomes so important. But I think the really big thing with our conversation this evening is to already get you thinking about the different factors that you need to be aware of when we talk about refinancing. Well, of course, taking your questions and comments at home, we've got a comment here from some of our viewers watching on YouTube. Um, we've got one here from uh, Aaron saying that's a powerful statement and motivation by private property uh, we've got another one here from Andy Lemachola saying thank you very much guys this is um you know ve- this is adding quite a lot of value thank you very much for tuning in there Andy Le we also have got a question on our Facebook page um from Mkateko Ahabe who asks is equity only determined by the number of years you have had the property or if you're making additional payments towards the bond then you also get equity 
not necessarily so Mika. Um, so the, the other way that you can you can, you can um, get equity on a property is I think Zama alluded into it a little bit earlier on when we were starting off. We always talk about you can buy a property on a discount, right? So, so the same property that we give an example of to say that I bought it for 700 and I put in an additional 400,000. The, the, the normal value of that property at that time should have been 3 million had it been looking the way it was looking. So, but I bought it at a discount, why? Because either it might've been a distressed building or maybe it had just been left idle for a while. So it wasn't functioning. So for the fact that I bought it for 700, I have the 700 all the way to 3 million. It's a discount by the way, right? So I'm buying it cheap. Same applies going to auction, you're buying it cheap, right? What you are buying is equity there. You're actually buying that. For those of us who understand accounting, the moment I buy that property and I register it in my book, from an equity perspective, my balance sheet shoots up because the real value is 3 million, but I actually bought it for 700. So which means now the difference here becomes money that I have on my balance sheet. And if I'm to go to the bank, they can actually give me that, uh, the, um, the difference there of what my equity can carry. You know, so banks will look at it differently in terms of risk, in terms of you as the individual. But the point is that you have enough assets on your balance sheet. And that when I started understanding this Zama, that's when I was like, I think I love this property thing. Because the more you buy on a discount, the more your balance sheet is growing. So you kind of like having free money, if we call it that. So my, 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 right now, my most important skill in my business is negotiation. Because if I know how to negotiate, what to negotiate, when to negotiate, I am literally buying by just having the conversation and writing it down and signing. I'm banking a couple of millions if I can. And I think, you know, TJ, something to also bear in mind, um, especially for, you know, the investors who are probably still, uh, you know, starting out. So perhaps you're buying, let's say, one investment property, maybe a one bed or a two bed. Uh, because yeah. I think, that, you know, TJ is not that level where you're looking at sort of block at flats. So even the way that you look at that asset, the way the rental split works, you know that it sometimes mixed use is, is slightly different. Uh, because the risk is also spread quite nicely. Um, so I think, you know, uh, I think one of the ways to also just look at putting in more equity is like you're saying, where you add in a bit more. Sometimes it's a, even if you get granted a 100% loan, um, so the 100% loan to value, if you've put down that deposit, that's the bit that you essentially have equity on. I mean, I know some of the investors I've spoken to who use really interesting and it, it speaks to what you know TJ was saying where suppose a property you're able to get it for 500,000 um, but let's suppose it is selling for let's say 800,000 in that particular area and when the bank comes and you know evaluates the property they're able to extend that 800,000 um, loan facility 
to you. So you go and register that 800,000 in the deeds office um, and you know that you've bought it for 500,000. You still need to qualify obviously for that 800,000. You now know that when you want the cash from the bank, you're able to access it because it's money that's already been there. So there are different really interesting ways to look at accessing money from bond facilities. Um, where sometimes you're adding in a little more, sometimes as you know, TJ is saying, generally get really good discounts. Uh, and the big thing, as he's saying there, when it comes to getting really good discounts, is being able to negotiate, negotiate, negotiate. Now, TJ, I do have to, you know, wrap up with you. I think the last question that I, I want to put to you is from, you know, one of our, um, from our guests who says, you know, um, I want to refinance, but I don't think I will qualify. What determines whether you qualify for the equity amount or not? Run the question again, Zama. So Mposh um, Damasa says, I want to refinance, but I don't think I will qualify. What, de uh, what determines whether you qualify for your equity amount or not? Oh, okay, great. So, so the, whenever you're, you're wanting to get more money from the bank, right? Um, and this question of, I, I don't think uh, we, we should do away with it. And let's just do the checks, right? That's why bond originators are there. They don't charge you anything. And that's why your bank is there as well. You can quickly go in and check, right? Then we get that um, maybe, maybe not, you know, out of the way. Now, it depends here, right? Let's assume on your property now, you've got about three, 400,000 of equity that you can tap into, but the qualification now is a, is a challenge. Um, I want to stress the fact that different banks will, will look at it differently, right? Yeah. So now we have started seeing banks, this, this wasn't the case like five, 10 years ago, where banks will sort of like, is this the property that you, um, it's an investment property, so there's a rental income that's coming from there. That's scenario number one. So we can take 70%, 80% of that rental income on that property, right? So it's no longer about you alone, who's the, um, the person who is funding this. So it's you, plus maybe a 70% of that property that you, you own. If it is your own property, then you don't have a tenant on it. Mm, yes, that might be a challenge. However, you, a bond originator could then look at your circumstance, right? And could maybe advise you to say, at this moment, refinancing might not be the best idea with your bank, right? Where you are, let's assume Standard Bank. But if we switch, to FMB, FMB is going to give you X amount. So they will do the homework for you. And with that, you don't have to do anything. Give them paperwork. They do all the work for you. And then boom. So you might not get to the O300, but you might get 150. But what can 150 do for you? I've bought a property for 160 before. So there's options. And there definitely are options. CJ, I think we're going to leave it there this evening. Uh, and it really has been a pleasure to have you on the show. It's always great to have you on. And as promised to viewers at home, we definitely are going to, uh, you know, have a good masterclass. We'll bring in a masterclass. I know I've promised uh, even one on restructuring. So we'll definitely do um, this one. I see Paul Adams there saying, I just want to uh, thank TJ for being TJ. He doesn't only share his knowledge, but his personal experiences and doing it so uh, unselfishly 
unselfish, what is that? Uh, oh, unselfishly. <laughs> this is what happens when you're like trying to read the screen that's far. And, and also my English bundles are slowly running out and it's saying you're just amazeballs. Thank you, uh, M5 Property Addicts. Thank you very much there, Paul Adams. Uh, and I think I'm gonna leave it there because I'm running out of my English bundles. TJ, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Zama. It's been great. Have a great weekend. And that is Tarek Jack, who's the co-founder of M5 Property Addicts. Well, folks, that's it from me in this Friday evening on the Private Property Podcast. You can see I'm coming, I'm slowly getting back to uh, being on air. Has, I've missed being with you and spending uh, my weekdays at 7 p.m. with you. While I don't leave you alone this evening, we are, of course, having the first time home buyers show shortly after this. So do stay tuned into that show. We will be holding the fort and, of course, speaking to somebody who's no stranger because we've spoken to this person right here on the Private Property Podcast. You definitely want to stay tuned to find out who I am talking about. And, of course, the weekend you can catch chart on the developers show that's of course another one you definitely do not want to miss where we showcase some of the country's best uh developments and estates and of course do go to uh register for the you know the virtual property show very first of its kind i'll also be emceeing and you know moderating some of the sessions so i do look forward to seeing some of you participating in our virtual property show so do you know sign up on the website and we've also posted those details down here below and of course join us on the 2nd and 3rd of October. Well that's it from me Zamantu Mwakumala. I'm back again with you next week Monday right here on the Private Property Podcast and as usual hoping you're staying home and staying safe.
and welcome back to the first time homebuyer show. I'm your host, SD Class, and it's so lovely to be back. It's officially Friday. Let's get our weekend mode started. And I'm actually going to hit you straight with the question. Have you ever wondered what is the correct age to start becoming a property mogul, to go on your property journey? What age should that be? Well, we have King Khaitate this evening, who is here to actually give us some advice and talk about some of the obstacles that came in the way when he bought his first home and started building 140 properties all before the time he turned 21. Good evening, King. How are you today? Hey, I'm excited to be here, SD. I'm glad to be sharing some uh, thoughts and wisdom with the viewers today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, King. I'm so happy that you're here. This is advice that we all need, you know. This is the first time home by a show. It's a podcast or a time where we learn more about how our journey will be to becoming property investors and becoming property moguls. So, King, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, and how you started your property journey. Okay, great. So, you see, you see for me, uh, I'm an accountant by profession, and... By the time I was 21, I was already a trainee accountant. And so the issue of rents and cents and profit and losses, it was very important and very key. This is something I have been watching and doing almost all my, my life growing up as a teenager. So what happened is that uh, I came to, I, I did my accountancy training in Johannesburg. Um, I, I rented for the first two years and then I realized that renting was not such a good idea because you know in as much as there's nothing wrong with renting but when i looked at my personal balance sheet it was not adding my net worth me continuing to rent so i made a decision very early on that i must buy my own property and so when i'm talking about the fact that even before i was 21 i had two homes of my own uh, and because at that time in South Africa, being less than 21, you're a minor. So I had to get my parents to sign as surety, them being over 21. And yeah, that's, that's how I started in property to saying, you know, I needed to improve my balance sheet and stop wasting money on rental. Exactly. You end up renting so much that you realize the amount that you spent on rent, you could have actually paid your mortgage, you know, Absolutely. and that's Absolutely. exactly. Mm -hmm. So that's literally your journey. You realized and you realized renting was not the way to go. And you, that's what you did. You started buying your first home. So tell me a little bit more about when you bought your first property. You said back back then, you know, you had to get surety signed by your parents. But what was that process like for you? It was it was I think for me, it was. It was an eye-opener because when I did my balance sheet the year after, I could see improvement. Uh, individuals that understand the issue of expenses and assets and liabilities, they know that uh, when you look at your income statement, when you are only a renter, you have a, a whole lot of expenses because of the renter. But so for me, uh, one year after, buying my own house, my, my, my balance sheet had improved and I was more wealthy than before I owned my own property. And it was based on, on these two transactions, buying my first home and then my second home. I bought my second home because I said uh, I needed to have an office. So I needed a larger home. So I bought a second home. And then I realized that, you know, I can do better. And that's how I went from my two homes and I went into over 100 uh, properties. 
Right. So that balance sheet, you keep repeating the word balance sheet. It's very important to always go back to see, you know, what we spent our money on, how much rent we were spending living in a certain place. So this brings me back now to when you bought your first property, and I'm sure now after you've built 140 properties, there's some things that you wish you had known back then that you know now. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, Esti, I think it's, it's very important, even as we are, we are sharing this today, that individuals must understand that the issue of the balance sheet and the income statement, we shouldn't be scared of using these terms. These are not terms that only accountants do and understand. We, we are involved in income statements and balance sheet on a daily basis. We talk about a budget, you look at your salary, you say, this is how I'm setting my salary, my budget. You are, you're focusing on your income statement. You're focusing on your balance sheet. So I think, I think it's important that, that individuals uh, uh, do not divorce themselves from understanding a balance sheet and understanding an income statement. So having said that, yes, so, so that was a very serious transition for me to say, uh, I don't wanna keep renting, I need to buy my home so that I improve my network and that's how I went from my first home, my second home, and then that's how I grew from, from there, yes. Exactly, and it's so important that you say your income statement, your balance sheets, it's things that we all need to understand. Yes, you may be in the accounting field and these are terms you use on a daily basis, but it's something that we also can educate ourselves on. You know, when we see, when we see that we've been renting and then we can see how we can go into investing in property and becoming property moguls, these are very important things we need to start educating ourselves on and learning more about. Okay, so that was the balance sheet and your income statement. So I would like to know, because this past, this past week, we've been talking about financial independence, financial freedom, why certain people invest in property. Why, why did you do it, Obakeng? What was your reason for investing in property? For me, for me investing in property was more to, to say, how do I grow? From a very early age, I was just fascinated by the issue of wealth. And I read a lot of books on how... Uh, the millionaires and the multi-millionaires and the billionaires do it. So for me, uh, being an accountant, having invested a lot of money in my own businesses, and so property was a new thing for me. So to answer the question, why did I do it? Uh, so yes, moving from my two homes to investing in a lot of properties, it was really to say, I can do it. I can be a billionaire. And while my whole objective was, I want to be a billionaire. And that's why I went into property. Exactly. And that's why I love this platform, because you talk about reading and educating yourselves on seeing people who have done it before and learning from them. And it's like you who owned or built 140 properties before you turned 21. And on that topic, 140 properties seems like a lot. And it seems like a daunting task to take on at such a young age. So did you have someone that mentored you, that guided you, through that process? No, well, I would say not, not in the sense of mentor mentee at that stage. Whatever, however, what I have discovered is that I can say the truth is that the books I was reading, these were my teachers and mentors because I would read um, stories about Richard Branson. I would read stories about there's a gentleman called Reverend Ike. I would listen to their podcast. And so my books at that time, they were, those authors were my mentors. 
And that's why I'm so big on, on reading and studying and having people that have walked the journey guide me. One of the things that I think is very important for us to remember is that it doesn't matter what it is that you want to achieve. Uh, you want to be a multimillionaire, you want to be a billionaire. There are people that have already done that. So it therefore becomes very important to not try to recreate the wheel. The question you should ask yourself is, okay, I want to have 100 properties. I want to have 200 properties, 300 properties. The question we should be asking ourselves is, who has done it and how can I walk in those footsteps? Because uh, as, as, as the saying goes, there is nothing new under the sun. And that's very important. Very important. And you keep emphasizing reading, you know, giving yourself the knowledge and homework was also a very important thing that we learned from the podcasts in the week. Do your homework, do your own research to become that property mogul. But if you had a mentor back in the day, what certain questions could I ask someone if I have a mentor that's actually helping me? Or maybe, you know, I decide, okay, Oba King, I'd like you to be my mentor to also help me get 140 properties. What questions should I ask my mentor? The, the questions you should ask your mentor is, is how, how can you, because the, what good mentors do is they have walked the journey before and you should ask your mentor, how can I make this journey easier for me? Because the mentor has already walked the journey, the mentor has had some challenges in their own lives. And when you ask, how can I make my own journey of having whether it's 100 properties or 200 properties, how can I make it easier? A good mentor would always be able to tell you that, look, this, this was my journey. This is where I made a mistake. This is where I fell down the ditch. Avoid that road, avoid doing it like this, like this. And if you follow this advice, you should be able to do better than your mentor. So the question right. I would, yeah. I always talk about experiential learning and that's why, and you keep emphasizing, it's so good to learn from someone or have a mentor, someone who's done it, who's gone through the process because they end up giving you the best advice. You know, they've experienced the obstacles, they've experienced things that have gone wrong on their journey. So they yeah. advise you to do things differently. Absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think it's important, you know, that you, I, I always say people should get qualified advisors, qualified uh, mentors. And when I say qualified, you know, the silly example I always make is that you shouldn't ask me how to be a best mechanic because I don't know much about being a mechanic. So in as much as I would try to advise you, but I'm not qualified to teach and mentor someone how to be a great mechanic because it's not my area of expertise. So exactly. It's important that as you go and look for mentors, look for people that have done it, not in theory, but in practice. And they can give you practical examples of what to do and what not to do. Yes. Exactly. Because when you have those practical examples, automatically, if I was buying my first property and I've gotten a practical example from a mentor, I feel at ease. You know, the process becomes easier when we have these mentors. So, Obakeng, we're quickly going to run to an ad break. And at, in this time, I'd like to ask our viewers to engage. Let us know, do you have mentors? Are you looking for a mentor who can help you? Please comment in this time and we'll be back with Obakeng Khaitate. Sit tight.
and welcome back to our viewers who are tuned in. We're speaking to Obakeng Khaitate about how he went from owning one or two homes to building 140 properties. He's explained why his goal was to do this. And we've also figured out that when you want to get a mentor in this game, in the property industry, figure out and find someone who has experienced this before, who can give you the proper advice when going forward. Welcome back, Obakeng. Thank you so much. Thank you, I'm going to move to some, we'd like to hear some advice from you, some advice to us who would like to invest in property in the future. Okay, what would be the best advice? I would say, first and foremost, you must learn. And the, the very important thing is you must understand that success in property, as is success in anything else, is 90% mindset. What do I mean by that? I'm saying that it doesn't matter how successful you desire to be in property or in any business, always remember and be aware that your success or failure on the journey of being a property mogul, 90% thereof is your mindset. Now, in some of the workshops and teachings I do, I always emphasize that success in any business, especially in property, only 10% thereof is tactics. What do I mean? 10% is tactics. There's, there's many ways to invest in property. You could be uh, buying depressed uh, properties for refurbishing and reselling. You could be buying uh, properties for flipping. You could be buying land. So all these things, this is what I call tactics. And it's important for our viewers to understand that all these tactics that you use in property it only comprises 10% of your success. 90% of your success is your mindset. That is the key and important understanding that you must have moving forward. So 90% mindset, 10% tactics. And I'm sure in this business, you've been in it for so many years, you've probably seen how some people have burned their fingers during this. So when investing in property, you've seen some people do very wrong things and we'd like to know what that is so that we don't end up making the same mistakes going forward. Yeah, so, so for instance, I have, a, I, have, I have two individuals, I have two clients that I'm assisting now. Uh, and the reasons they have gone wrong in, in, in property is that one has purchased a property without fully understanding the, the income statement of a specific property. What they did, unfortunately, is they bought uh, these sectional title properties without getting proof of the income and the expenditure of the building. Now, what they have, unfortunately, it was too late because they were already in the, in the situation is that when you buy a sectional title, you should not only rely on what the agent tells you to say, the rental here is 10,000, the levies here is 1,000, uh, special CSOS levies others. You must get evidence, you need to verify. It is very sad that uh, we do have agents that are not as honest as they are supposed to be. And as a first time home buyer, it is therefore very important to understand that if you do not have a mentor, take whatever the estate agent is telling you with a pinch of salt in that you must understand that the estate agent's purpose is to sell you the property. They make money when you buy. So 
in as much as the estate agency affairs board requires and demands of estate agents to be ethical and honest, I must say, unfortunately, some of them are not so ethical and they're not so honest. So we have a case now where uh, two of my clients, they are in a, in a legal battle because the properties they purchased is losing money uh, because these individuals were first time home buyers. They, they went into the deal without checking in detail as to whether indeed the buildings and the properties they are purchasing are profitable. So I'm saying it's important as you go out there, make sure that you do not take what the attorneys, what the agents, what the homeowner is telling you about the property, but get third party independent evidence of what the situation is. Exactly. And that is my biggest fear, you know, investing in property going forward, becoming a property mogul is really how do I know that the investment is profitable? So how do I know if I go buy a property that it is profitable? And that could maybe maybe you could talk about your strategy of for success. How do I know that this income is profitable? Yeah, that is very important. Now, now I always say that we must remember that in property, you must make profit when you purchase. You mustn't buy a property and believe that in future, whether you say in six months or in a year, the property will be profitable. So for instance, in my case, when I, when I acquired my properties, I made sure I did a proper calculation to say, what is the market value in the area? Uh, what are the people buying and selling properties for? And in this day and age, we do have uh, your Lightstone report. Uh, anyone can subscribe to the deeds office. So you can get uh, property valuations. You can get the costs and the sale prices of properties in the area. You see, investing in property is not a, it's, it's something that you need to decide. And this is why I was saying earlier on that your success or failure in property is 90% mindset. You need to be an expert in a specific area. If you choose, you want to buy a certain type of properties. You must understand that you must either spend a lot of time learning about residential properties in, in Bedford View, if, if that is your area. Because if you look at Bedford View, or if you look at Danefen, or if you look at Tembisa or Alexandra, these are different properties. So you must take time to learn the specific area. You must understand what is going on. And as I say, you know, one of the, one of the advantages of having, of having a mentor is that you, you, you pay them for you to advance your success much quickly. If you have to, for instance, if I look at the number of years I've been in property, I always say to my mentees that, listen, you could take 20 years to learn what I have learned, or you could uh, pay for some of the courses that I do have, and in a very short space of time, understand the pitfalls in property. And it doesn't only go for property only, it goes in, in any business, whether somebody wants to be a, uh, a coach, a speaker, that is why mentors are important. That is why books are there. Individuals need to learn, get mentors and all that stuff. So very critical, especially in property. It is very important for you to choose and decide 
where you will be an expert. Because whether you talk about an area or a type of property, types of properties, you have residential properties, you have commercial properties. These are different kettles of fish. So we are saying to first time homeowners today that you need to choose which area you will specialize in. And even as you are saying that, I think it's important that people must understand that you can make money with any type of property. Now, one of the errors that first-time home buyers do or people that are new in investing in properties is that they would hear, they would read one report or they would hear what their cousin says or they would hear what somebody says and take that as, as research information, which is wrong. You must take time to, to get authoritative information about a specific market, about a specific type of property, and do not make decisions that are ill-informed, that are not from qualified individuals. Exactly, and you spoke extensively about location, choosing your location, and also knowing the purpose of your investment. Why do you want to invest in property, you know? And also, like you said earlier about choosing a location, and I'd like to actually go into that because first-time home buyers, how do we choose the correct location? How do we know that this is the one for us? Well, you, you, it, it must come from, from what it is that you want to achieve. Uh, the correct location for you, it is something that is aligned to who you are. Now, for instance, let me talk about, make an example about myself. I'm not an individual that is into to clubs and uh, parties, for an example. So for me, commercial properties that are involved in that type of business do not align to who I am. So to answer the question, what is the right area? We always say that the first thing is we must assess who are you? Because when you look at the billionaires today, whether you look at Warren Buffett, you look at Bill Gates, it doesn't matter who you look at. They are in the business that's aligned to who they are. So when we talk about what is the right area, the question you must ask is, who are you? What are your passions? What are your strengths? And as we ask these questions, we get to understand your personality and the type of properties and areas that will be suitable for you. Exactly. So again, emphasizing on doing your own research, knowing exactly why, you know, the purpose of your investment. And um, I just want to quickly take it back to income statements and balance sheets that we were talking about before the break. Um, we have Sally uh, Nozi who says, wait, will the seller feel free to give you an income statement when you haven't bought or made your OTP? Uh, repeat the question again. Let me understand the question. Sure. Will the seller feel free to give you an income statement when you haven't bought or made your OTP? Oh, yes. No, look, the, the, the income statement and balance sheet, they've got nothing to do with the offer to purchase. So, so I think it's, imp it's important that here we are talking about your personal income statement and balance sheet. Now, what happens is that uh, we, we will share some resources later, but what happens is that you need to develop your income statement and your balance sheet as a person, as an individual, or as your own company. Now, these things have got nothing to do with the offer to purchase. Now, the issues of balance sheets and income statement, they become important when you go to the bank, purchasing a property with, with your company. The banks will then say, yes, um, 
Joe, Peter, Susie, let's see your balance sheet. That's what the banks want. Okay, so they want to see your own balance sheet, you know. So I think, because how I understood it earlier was that your income statement, seeing, let's say you've been renting for the past three years and you realize that, no, I'm spending too much money renting. Let me rather go make an investment because I would be spending a similar amount. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. So, so what, the, what the banks do is they look at, so the importance of the, of the income statement is that now you have been renting, you are paying, let's say you are paying 50,000 a month on your rental. So the banks look for your current uh, income statement and you're going to be showing that currently I'm renting, I'm paying 50,000. So the bank will then see that because you are purchasing a property, obviously now I would imagine in this case that you are purchasing a property where you're going to be staying there. So if your bond repayment is equivalent to 50,000, then the bank easily approves your loan because they can see that in terms of your existing income statement, you have been paying rental of 50,000. And now all that will happen is that because now there will be no more rental, it'll then be your, you will be settling your liability, your bond. So you will be able to qualify for that specific bond. Exactly, exactly. That's how I understood it. And then Mtali also says, um, how do we ask for property financials? Uh, now, now that's very important. And it's important that you must understand that you make it a condition when you speak to the estate agent that I want to see the financials of the body corporate. And the right uh, and honest agents will be able to speak to the body corporate and say, hey, I have a buyer who wants the financials of the body corporate. Now, the issue is it's very important here, ST. Remember when you are buying a sectional title, you are buying into an existing business. So the issue of getting the, the balance sheet and the income statements, we prefer audited financial statements. The issue of getting the levy statements for the last six months, as a first time buyer, you must ask for these things because otherwise you're gonna be getting yourself into problem. If you, your financial statement is like a due diligence of you, you're buying a flat, it could be one flat out of a hundred flats. You want to know whether the flat is in good health because if you don't ask for these financials, you could, as I said, you could be getting yourself into big trouble because you're not doing the right due diligence. Exactly. And like you're saying, they should be able to give this to us if we ask for it. So already we know that's a red flag if they do not give it to us. So we can openly ask for the property financials for how the property has been doing over the past few years. We can ask for this. And as soon as they say, no, unfortunately, we can't, this is a big red flag and you, you move away and you find other investments. Absolutely. Absolutely. If, if they refuse information, just walk away. You must not believe the story that this is a once in a lifetime offer. You must buy it. Just sign here. One of the things that I have seen, um, I know I've got, I've got two, two, two individuals that I, I got them to cancel the OTP. What the agent had done is the agent had said, listen, just sign the OTP. We will get you the information afterwards. You do not do that. You get the information before you sign the OTP. 
Okay, that's very good advice. Thank you so much, Oba King. So just openly ask for these things. They should be given to you, especially if you're making such a big investment. Property is not a small thing. You know, this is a really big investment that you want to make. And you also want it to benefit you in the long run. So now, Oba King, you're still obviously investing in property and you're still building properties around South Africa. What are some other challenges that you face today, continuing on your property journey? Look, the challenges that uh, I, I'm... I, I must say I have faced, and I'll tell you why I'm saying I have faced. I can talk about the, the recent projects we were doing in, in, in Gauteng. The challenge we faced there was that we were doing township establishments and we only discovered quite late that uh, there was no capacity. Johannesburg Water did not have capacity for both water and sewer. So, the specific challenge in this case was that whereas we had already invested lots of money in acquiring properties, in paying um, professional fees, engineers, town planners, we, we discovered at a late stage that because of the capacity of the city, our development cannot be approved. That was a challenge. Now, I'm saying this to say that that has been the challenge Going forward, however, we have got better teams in place and the way we are doing our property developments and investments is, is, in a, is in a more structured way. We have seen all the red flags to say, don't spend money on some of these things until, for instance, uh, looking at the, at the challenges we've had in, 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 with Johannesburg Water that you must, there are certain things you must find out. You must have the right town planners, engineers, environmentalists that ask the municipality the right questions before we embark on development. So I, I guess it's, it's very similar as to, to what we're talking about there. That So in, in my case, whereas I'm saying, before we go on some of these property developments, we must clarify and make sure that there is enough water there is enough sewage capacity before we spend money. It's similar to what you're talking about to say, before you sign the OTP, get the, the, the levy statements, get the balance sheets and income statement. So those are the challenges that we had faced. And I believe that the way we are doing things now going forward, we are in a much stronger and wiser position to do things better going forward. And I think it's also very important because you're talking about working with the team. So if you're not investing in property by yourself and you have a team, it's also important that your team knows, like you said, the right questions to ask the certain people that you're working with on a big project like that, you know, like you said, 140 property, that's a very big project. So make sure that your team is also equipped with the right knowledge to go and ask the people the right questions. So last question from Sally Nozi. Thank you so much for asking us these questions. We, we're here for it. Um, this is for you, Obakeng. What strategy yep. did you start with, you know? So after maybe after buying your first home, what was the strategy you started with when building your 140 properties? I used what they call using other people's money. <laughs> what, what does, you must, you must remember, I was, at the time, I was not, I was not even 21 years old. Um, mm. And my, my balance sheet at that time was such that I could not buy the properties out of my bank balance or the bank couldn't even approve at that time. 
So the strategy I use when I say using other people's money is that I signed the agreement, I signed contract, and immediately I went on a, on a very serious drive to get uh, buyers and investors to buy into my dream. Uh, so, so even today, whether you, you want to have 10 properties or 20 properties or 100 properties, people have all, for, for many, many years, made money and become property moguls not using their own monies. And anyone can do that today. Exactly. So figure out how you can maybe, you know, because I think when when it's more scarier when you're using your own money because you, you fear losing all of this. You fear that the property might not be profitable, that your investment might fail at the end of the day. So figure out how. And you kept emphasizing, find your knowledge, do your research. And uh, like you said earlier, you could share some of that with us, which would be amazing. So just before we close off, Obakeng, thank you so much for being with us this evening. Is there any last words and some advice that you would like to share with the viewers watching um, going forward and investing in, 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 in property? Yeah, look, there's, there's quite a lot. I would want to share the, I've got a couple of, uh, 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 there's, there's two books that I have got available that after the after the podcast, what I will do is that I will comment briefly as to how the individuals can get the books. That's number one. And also, uh, early next week, I will share a link on the on the private property uh, uh, page for people that are interested to get more information that they can be able to do what I have done and even better because it is my passion, it is my desire just to share my knowledge and share some of the things that I have seen to say. If you are serious about uh, building your property portfolio, this is some of the mistakes I made. Don't do them and you will become a property mogul. Thank you so much, Obakeng. It's been really lovely having you on the show this evening. There you've heard it. We can all become property moguls. But investing in property has no age. You know, Obakeng was only 21 when he built 140 properties. I'd like to say thank you to the viewers who have commented and, you know, engage with us on the platform the first time home buyer show is moving to wednesday next week so catch us there same time but on wednesday on the private property page thank you so much have a lovely weekend everyone thanks for joining thank you
I'm Julia Chen. I'm a restaurateur living in the Cape Town City Bowl. My restaurant, Hallelujah, is situated right in the heart of the city. Over the last few years, the influx of young professionals has created so many new and exciting things to see and do. The rejuvenation of the city has been something really special to experience. There are some really beautiful suburbs in our neighborhood. Nestled below the iconic Table Mountain lies the Ranezik and Tamburskloof, filled with unique and beautiful homes. There's such a young vibe in the city with an incredible blend of diverse cultures catering to everybody's desire. Within the city, there are so many genuine and passionate people and you'll find them in places like the Woodstock Exchange. Offering everything from handcrafted works of art to a culinary experience hard to forget. For those who enjoy the outdoors, Lion's Head and Table Mountain are phenomenal places to explore. Living in the City Bowl has definitely given me my dream lifestyle, and this is my neighbourhood.